look with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Billy Graham told the story, used to tell the story all the time about George Beverly Shea. This guy walked up to, um, to George Beverly Shea and asked him one time, said, listen, how much do you know about God? And George Beverly Shea looked at the guy and he said, well, not much, but what I do know has changed my life. When you get to uh, Genesis chapter 15, if you walked up to Abraham and said, Abraham, now what do you know about God? Just exactly what do you know about him? I would imagine his response would have been the same thing. I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know has changed everything in my life. I've left my home. I've left my family. I've left whatever Abraham did back in Ur of the Chaldees. He left that. He left his nation. He left his livelihood. He left all of those things, and he followed the Lord across a thousand miles around what we call the Fertile Crescent into the land of Canaan, where the Canaanites lived. And um, that's what God had called him to do. And in chapter 12, verse 1, he went. He did it. He left. He went. And God, uh, God has brought him through one experience after another of all of those things, yet he knew very little, honestly, about God. Um, now, let me catch you up to where we are. Genesis chapter 15. Last week, we looked at one verse. You remember that um, there was this war that took place between uh, Abraham, who had 318 shepherds with him, and four armies of four kingdoms. Uh, you can, if you don't see the hand of God in that victory, then you're just not looking very hard. He gets back after that event because they had taken Lot, he goes to rescue his nephew, gets the release of all the people, conquers those four armies, um, restores all of the stuff to the people, and he comes back in chapter 15, verse 1, and he begins to think about what he's done. Have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever gone up to some, you know, 320-pound linebacker somewhere and just said, hey, you, got, you cut in front of me. You ever, and then the guy backs out the way and says, well, I'm sorry, you go ahead. And after you do it, you think, that guy could just thump me, you know? Have you ever done? Well, Abraham gets back from that, and he begins to think to himself, what have I done? These are four massive armies. I just had shepherds out there, um, and we just must have surprised them. They're going to come now, and they're going to kill us. And God spoke to his fear. God spoke to his fear with his word. Remember, the first part of that verse is the emphasis on the word of God. And he spoke to him about his protection. He says, I am your shield. And so God comes to him and he says, here's my word, I am your shield. In the midst of your fear, what do you want? You want protection. And so God comes to him and gives him that. Now, fear has a twin sister. And that twin sister is doubt. Fear and doubt are twins. They were born in the same bed. They grew up in the same cradle. They walk hand in hand down the road of life together. Where fear is, it will breed doubt. Where doubt is, it will breed fear. And so here is the fear that gripped Abraham, and now doubt is going to come 
and grip his life. We're going to begin in verse 2. And I'm going to show you something tonight that's very important. Um, As I said, fear is answered by protection. Doubt is answered by promise. If I promise you, you won't doubt. So God's going to come and he's going to give Abraham a promise. But let me show you a verse tonight. Let me just break away from my notes and show you something in verse 6. If you look down in verse 6, you're going to see this for the very first time in Scripture. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. You know, I wish our church were here. I wish all of our leaders and all of our teachers were here. It is so important. If you don't grasp certain truths out of the first five books of the Bible, you really are lost when it comes to understanding things when you get to the book of Romans or even Galatians. These opening chapters of Genesis are so critical. They're so important. Verse 6 is going to talk about, listen, faith and righteousness. If you thought faith and righteousness is just something that happens in the New Testament, you're wrong. You've missed it. The foundation's already been laid for our putting our faith in God in His righteousness. You come to a word here when you read, then he believed. That is, Abraham believed in the Lord. That's the first time you read the word believe right there in Scripture. The very first time. You get 15 chapters into the Word of God and you hadn't read the word believe yet. And do you know what the word believe is? It's a very specific word. Do you know what the word believe is in in Hebrew? Amen. It's the New Testament word, amen. (laughs) So to believe in God is to amen God. huh? That's what he's doing. This is an amen to God. I believe in you. This is truth. He believed in the Lord, and he, that is God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, do this. Put your finger right there. Go with me over here to Galatians chapter 3. And let me just read to you for a minute. Galatians chapter 3. Now, this is the tie. This is where it ties in. This is where if you don't grasp this, you, you miss, you, you're going to misunderstand what's being said when it comes to this whole thing of faith. Even so, Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, it's not those of you that have a Jewish lineage. It is those of you that have faith in Christ. You are the sons of Abraham. By the way, just put your finger there. You look, you can put a finger in Genesis and a finger in Galatians. Look on over here to Hebrews. Let me, let me just show you this in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the first three people mentioned in that very famous chapter are all three people who come out of the antediluvian age. That is, that period prior to the flood. Look at what it says in verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel. Look at verse 5, by faith Enoch. Look at verse 7, by faith Noah. And then everything is destroyed except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, 
their three wives in all of the animal kingdom. And so you come now to the post-diluvian period, that is after the flood in verse 8, you come to now the building of the patriarchal period, and you come to Abraham, and it says, by faith, Abraham. That's because of chapter 15, verse 6. Now go back to Galatians, and let let me see if I can catch my train of thought there. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8, Galatians 3. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Well, if you don't, Uh, if you don't start back here in Genesis chapter 15, you're going to miss the depth of what Paul is saying there in Galatians chapter 3. And he's talking to a bunch of people who had jettisoned the gospel and had turned back to the law. Then the writer of Hebrews tells you, listen, if you leave Christ and go back to the law, there is no hope of salvation. There's nothing that can save you in the law. I've got to get back to my notes. Y'all just... So, all right. Back here now to this. That's why this is critical. That's why you need to be in a daily devotional. You need to be in a life group. You need to be in preaching. You need to be here on Wednesday nights. These things cause you to strengthen in your faith, and they cause you to grow in your faith. Now, let me get back. Let me get to the promise now of Abraham right here. God's going to touch this doubt in his life with a promise. Touch a fear with protection, but now you're going to touch a doubt with a promise. Abram said, O Lord, by the way, this is the first recorded prayer of Abraham. Now, he's prayed before, but this is the first time it's been recorded. So he begins to pray. He says, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? I don't have a child. I've been following you for 10 years. Nothing's changed yet. You ever been there? He's already had this fear grip his life. And now that fear has brought about doubt. Well, I just, I'm not real sure now, God, about all of this that's going on. Now look, he's going to come back in verse 3, and he's going to to state it in a little different way. And Abram said, since you have given me no offspring, since I don't have a child. He says, this is the obvious. I am childless, and I'm childless because you've not given me a child. I don't, have, I don't have a child. We talked about this 10 years ago, and uh, nothing has changed as of yet. So he comes, and this is what he says in verse 2. He says, since I'm childless, the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, he's going somewhere with that. You come to it in verse 3. One born in my house is my heir. Now, what Abraham is talking about there is this. There was a very normal practice and a part of life that you had folks that worked not only outside uh, with the sheep and the goats and the cattle and all of that out in the fields, but you also had those that worked inside your house and around the camp, and they lived in the tents with you, and they were essentially family. He's talking about Eliezer, and he says, Eliezer was born in my house. In other words, he was born in my tent. 
Um, and uh, these children who would grow up of these servants would grow up with the children of the master. And if for some reason the master had no children like Abraham or something had happened to those children, then those servants that had had children in the house would grow up and they would inherit. Uh, that was a very common practice. It was not unusual. And this is what he's saying. He's just saying this. He's saying, God, I, I guess this is how it's going to work out. Um, you, you've promised me a child, and I guess Eliezer is going to have to be the one who's going to inherit. I kind of hope for one for myself, but I guess, Lord, this is the way you're going to do things. Have you ever done that to God? You ever told God how things are going to be? Well, God, it's, this just seems the way it's going to be to me. This just seems the way it's going to work out. This must be your this must be your will. This must be the decision that you've made. This must be the way you want it to go. Um, I don't have a child, so I'm just going to assume you had always referred to Eliezer. I guess that's the way it is. And so he's going to be the one that's going to inherit. I thought I would have a child, but maybe it's just going to be this guy here, and I'm going to have to be satisfied with that. And so there was this doubt in Abraham's mind. God, I, just, I really just doubt. Are you... Are you able to do all the things you say you can do? Are you going to do the things that I thought you were going to do? Well, it doesn't work out that way, but I'm going to accommodate you, and I will just accept the fact that Eliezer will be the one that will inherit everything. Let me give you three things. Let me show you how this is going to be answered by God. Three things that God's going to do here now with this promise. Number one, there's going to be a repetition. God's going to give him a word all over again, and that is in verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. By the way, your own body there in the Hebrew is literally translated uh, in, internal or inside stuff. In other, in other words, he's saying to Abraham, he says, You're going to have a kid but it's going to be your DNA. When nobody knew about DNA, how about that? That's just a coincidence, isn't it? Huh? What a coincidence there. Uh, it's going to be your inward stuff. It's going to be your genetics, Abraham. It's going to be your DNA. That's going to come from your own body. He's going to be the one who is going to be your heir. Now, what God is doing here is God is really repeating something that he's already told him. If you look back to chapter 12, he's told him in verse 2, he says, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. If you look down at verse 16 of chapter 13, he says, I'm going to make your descendants as the dust of the earth. He's already told him this, but now he's going to come back and he's going to repeat himself again. Now, why does God do that? Is, you know, why does God repeat? Why doesn't God just say, Abraham, Zip it. I've already spoken. I, you know, in the words of Ernest T. Bass, I don't chew my cabbage twice, you know. <laughs> well, let me tell you why. Because if you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want you to listen to what, listen to what Paul writes there and what he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he begins this whole section in verse 4, about love, and he says, love is patient. 
And if you look at verse 8, he's going to sum it up when he says, love never fails. And after he says love is patient in verse 4, he says love is kind. And so what God is doing is this. God is mindful, Psalm 103 verse 14 He is mindful, he knows our frame, he is mindful that we are but dust, and so he comes to deal with Abraham very patiently. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? And aren't you glad that in his patience, he is kind? Have you ever had anybody be patient with you, but they were not really being kind about it? Here is God in his patience being kind, and he's saying this to Abraham. Abraham, I want you to understand, I have not failed you, nor will I fail you. And you come back, and I'm going to repeat to you what I've said before. This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And God gives him that promise all over again. He says, listen, it's not too difficult for me. There's a passage that I preached out of 1 Peter some years ago where Peter comes back and he makes several things. He he repeats several things, and he comes and he says, it's not too difficult for me to remind you of these things. And I just kind of, on uh, on that verb there, to remind you of these things, thought about that. How many times has God come back and in patience and in kindness has reminded us and reminded us and repeated and repeated and repeated the same thing to us over and over and over again? That's the kindness of God. That, that's, what if you came down to this altar right here and, um, and at the end of the service, I've done this a number of times, I've married people at the end of a service, and I married you, and that was the last time you ever heard your husband say, I love you. What if he never repeated that? For the next 50 years of marriage, 60 years of marriage, he never repeated that. What if she never repeated that, I love you? What if there was never an expression? Listen, let me tell you something, how horrible would that be? How sad would that be? Uh, that if you never heard that again. And so with God, he comes, and in this, he comes in, in his love. He says, I'm going to repeat this to you. I'm going to share this with you again. I'm going to talk to you about what I'm going to do for you all over again. You know, the same thing is true with, um, with your body, physically. You, you know, you're going, next Monday I'm going to the beach, so I think I'll start a diet today, and I'll go down to the gym the next, next three days, and I'm going to walk out on that beach, and I think I'm Mr. Universe. You know? It doesn't work like that. It doesn't happen that way. There has to be some, some over time, this repetition that keeps taking place. Same thing with golf. You know, if you think, I'm going to go out and play, you know, I hadn't, hadn't played in 12 years. I'm going to hit a couple of balls. I'll be as good as Tiger Woods. It doesn't happen. It's, it's repetition. That, and so God comes, and just in patience and in kindness, he reminds him essentially this, I have not failed you. I'm going to do what I've said. It's so critically important in the midst of your doubts to hear the word of God. This is where the assurance is going to come from. And do you know, to our God, it doesn't upset him to tell us these things again and again and again. Isn't it good to hear that?
from God's word. The goodness, the patience of God, the kindness of God. I'll tell you one more time. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Thank you, Jesus. The second thing now, he comes to this clarification. I've kind of already given you that, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. He says this, this child is going to come from you. Your heir is going to be from you. Then he's going to have to, listen, in a little bit, he's going to have to understand, okay, this gets through to Abraham here that he's going to father the child, but then there's going to be the whole mix-up and upset over this whole deal of who's going to be the mother because Sarah is going to get this thing. She's going to get it mixed up. Isn't it good? Abraham is mixed up here. Sarah's going to get mixed up there. Isn't the patience and the kindness of God good? So here comes a clarification. I am telling you this, your own body. He's already said it again over here in chapter 13, verse 16. I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. And so he's going to come, and then he's going to give an expansion to that. He took him outside, and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So he, he gives him this repetition. He comes with the clarification that it's going to be from him, and then he comes with this great expansion here. Now this is what I want you to see. Look at the first part of verse 5. And he... God took him, Abraham, outside. Don't you just love that? Huh? Now, how did that happen? I just am curious. I think God thought, Abraham, you've been shut up in that tent too long. You've been in that tent all you've done is you've dreamed about these armies coming against you. You've listened to every bump in the night, and you've thought somebody's coming to get you, and I have given you my word. I'm your protection. Now you've gotten into this doubting stuff, and you doubt that I'm going to keep my word, and you doubt that I'm going to give you a son, and you doubt that I'm going to be able to pull that off. And now, listen, God just comes, I, I don't know, other than what the text says, he came and took him out. Get up and come outside with me. And he walks outside, and God tells him, I don't know how he did it. I have no idea. And he tells him, just look up at the heavens. Now, I want you to think about this. This was a man who in Ur had worshipped the heavens. He'd been a moon-worshiping pagan. They'd go up on the top of those ziggurats, and they would look up and they would study the constellations and they would pray to them and worship them because they thought they were gods. And God said, listen, I put those things up there. You just look up at those stars and if you can count those stars, then you'll know how many kids you're going to have. We were looking at, Debbie showed me a picture the other night of the two of us. I don't know where, what, there's a little picture of us on the beach. We graduated high school got in a car that night, left with a bunch of other high school student friends, drove down to Myrtle Beach. My sister was the chaperone and her husband. And um, it was a picture of us you found in the move and you put it in the bathroom. And she said, look, look at that. 
Could you imagine at that time we would have 14 grandchildren now? I said, I imagined a lot back then, to be honest, but I didn't imagine 14 grandchildren, I can tell you that. Now, he just tells him, you look up there, count the stars. You count the stars, that's how many kids you're going to have. Well, he expands that. And watch it, what it says right here. Verse 6, he believed. He, amen. He, amen to God. He believed God. God, I believe you. No more fear, no more doubt. Now look at the realization of it. I can't help but think that every time Abraham walked out at night and he looked up at the sky, don't you think he saw something entirely different than he had ever seen before? He looked at it and it was different for him than anything else uh, he had ever seen at night before. That every time he went out and he looked up into the heavens, he thought about the promise of God. He thought about the faithfulness of God. He thought about his faith in God. What about Noah? You ever stop and think that Noah got in a thunderstorm after that flood? What do you think Noah did the first time he heard thunder and rain after the flood? I bet he got a little bit nervous. And I can imagine he sat inside his tent and he thought, what is going to happen and when it all stopped and he saw the sun come back, he walked outside and he looked up and he saw that rainbow and he thought, you kept your promise. You know, that ought to happen to us every time we walk past a piece of bread. Every time we look at a loaf of bread or a roll or a cornbread or something, no matter where, it ought to automatically stir something in our heart that we think about. Jesus saying, this is my body, which is for you. Every time you walk through the grocery store and you pass that aisle, it's got wine bottles on it, or every time you pass a glass of juice, it ought to stir something in your heart to where you stop and you think, you know what? Here is this new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It ought to always, it ought to, listen, every time you walk past a Bible, every time you pick one of these up, it ought to do something to you. It ought to stir something down on the inside of you and you just realize and remember the promises of God that I have had through this book. I could take you to to Exodus 14, 14 and tell you of the morning when my wife came up and sat down behind my desk chair and said, here is the verse God has given me for us for this season in our life. And that is, calm down is what he said. Just calm down. And I'm going to save you. It'll all be all right. Right there. Isn't that good? Here it is, right here. Here's Abraham. God gives him that promise. Now, let me give you the second thing. And I don't, I don't have a clock going back there, so let me, let me look and see. Let me give you, the, let me give you a, the second thing of this, but it's really the third thing. If you're taking notes and keeping notes, verse 1 is really two thoughts that are there. Now, I've just given you another thought. Here come, There's the doubt. 
Here is the, uh, there's the fear in verse one. Here's the doubt. Now here comes the confusion. Now in the midst of confusion, what do you need? I need some light. I need some clarity. So let me kind of, I've taken too much time. Let me kind of move through this. Now watch, he begins. He comes now with another word for the Lord. God says in verse seven, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the Ur, out of, Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And he said, oh Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? Now let me tell you what he's asking right here. He's confused. I can't figure that. I don't own a bit of this property. Okay, now you've taken care of the child part, but now I don't own a bit of this property. Not one square inch of it is mine. And I've been here for 10 years. I came here and I've been here. How am I going to know? Can you give me a sign? Now, there is a lot of debate about praying and asking for signs. And I, I am very hesitant to ever tell anybody to pray and ask God for signs because 99% of what I hear Christians do when they say, I have prayed and asked God for a sign, runs the gamut from the ridiculous to the insane. Um, I, I actually had somebody come out. I'll give you two examples. I had somebody come up to me and say, you know, I've been, I, I just hate my job. I'm just going to, I think God wants me to quit my job. And uh, I've been praying about something else. And the other night on television, there was a commercial came on exactly what I was thinking. I think it's a sign from God. And I looked at him and I said, you've been feeling bad, hadn't you? You've been feeling, I've been low. I've been feeling just really because I hate this. Job. I said, well, if rat poison commercial came on, would you take that as a sign you needed to go drink it? <laughs> well, no. Well, then why would you take a, a commercial to be a sign from God? I had somebody else come and tell me, he said, I have been dating this girl and I want to ask her to marry me. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I said, God, you know, just help me. And he said, every green light between my house and her house was green when I went there and I took that God was telling me to go. And I said, yes, go straight to the mental institution. <laughs> now I'm telling you, it run, and I tell you this because we ask God for just absurd stuff and then we blame all this mess on God. Let me show you something about Abraham here. Verse six has already occurred. He believed. He believed him. God counted it to him as righteousness. And by the way, it was not Abraham's righteousness. It was God's righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything righteous. We don't do anything righteous. I could take you to Romans 3, but I'm not going to do that. But just listen to me. It was not Abraham's righteousness. He believed, and because he believed God, God took his righteousness and put it on Abraham's account. That's what happened to you at Calvary, by the way. Well, <laughs> y'all get me off on stuff, and I got to think back to, to, to where I'm going. Well, he, he believes, so he's trusting. He's already in the land, so he's following. So I would make these two points to you. If you are fully trusting the Lord and you are in the midst of following him, God will give you direction. God will give you direction. Um, you say, when a preacher, have you ever prayed for a sign? I have. Has God ever given it? He has. But I have to tell you this. 
It's been with the fact that I trust the Lord and I was following, I was doing the last thing that God called me to do when God would make clear to me what he wanted me to do next. I'm at Valleydale, period. That tells you the whole story right there. Why am I here? Because God gave me clear direction about where he was leading me. What was I doing? Was I was preaching to those folks in Jacksonville as hard as I could preach to them, just like I preach as hard as I can preach to you. Now, I really hadn't preached hard to y'all yet. But, <laughs> but anyway, that, so just tuck that away. That's the only thing I know to tell you about. I don't go around seeking signs from God. When you are trusting God by faith and you're actively walking with him, God gives you direction. God will give you direction. So what's he going to do? He's going to do something unusual here. He's going to give some real clarity. He's going to give some real light. So he said, verse 9, to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him. Let me tell you something about Abraham uh, that... that, um, Maybe I'll get to a point and I'll kind of go back and I'll walk you through all of this. The covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that begins in chapter 12 keeps coming back again and again and God expands and shows a little more and walks him through a little more. Now you're going to get the cutting of the covenant. You ever heard the cutting of a covenant? Here's the cutting of the covenant. These animals are cut. They're sacrificed. So they're cut in two, they're laid opposite. You put one side of the beef here, the other side of the beef there. All of the animals are are like that. He brought these all to him and he cut them in two and laid them um, each half opposite the other and he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. So it tells me that some time is passing. He's gone through all of this, some time has passed. Now the sun's going down. And as the sun goes down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, terror and a great darkness fell on him. Now, God's going to give him um, a word of prophecy about what's going to happen to his children. That's what he's been worried about. He's going to say, let me tell you what's going to happen to your children. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved. That's Egypt. He's talking about the 400 years of oppression, oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. Now he's saying all of this. Do you remember the night that when, when um, uh, uh, night of the Passover when they come to him and they just tell him to go, 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 get on out of here, and all the Egyptians came out with all of their gold and their jewelry, all their stuff, and they gave it to, gave it to the Uh, To the Hebrews, there it is right there. It's prophesied, prophesied beforehand. He says they're going to go out. They're going to live there 400 years as slaves, but when they go out, they're going to be filthy rich. So they're going to go out with many possessions. So he's giving him a view. I would love, I think I would like, I'd love to know what's going to happen to all these grandkids one day. What's, you know, where are they going to be? Just so long as they're all saved, that's all I care about. I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. Afterwards, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, now he's going to turn to him. He says, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. 
you shall go to your fathers in peace. In the Old Testament, when they died, it was always being gathered to their fathers. Now, there's an interesting thing about that that I'll tell you sometime. But that's what he's saying there. You're going to die. You're going to be buried with your fathers, essentially. You're, 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 uh, you're going to die, but you're going to die in uh, a good old age. You'll be buried at a good old age. You'll die in peace and at an old age. Then in the fourth generation, <clears throat> all of these children of yours are going to come right back here to this land, this land that you're on right now, that you've asked me, you know, how will I know that I possess it? He says, I'm telling you, they're going to come back right here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about that when the sun had set, that it was very dark and behold, there appeared. Now, let me tell you, the unique thing of this is that Abraham does nothing in this covenant. This is all God. God is making the covenant with Abraham. Normally, when you make a covenant, I, I entered into covenant with my wife. I don't think I've ever entered into another covenant before, but I entered into with anybody. Uh, the only covenant I've ever really, outside of Jesus Christ, is a covenant with my wife. I stood at an altar, and I entered into a covenant. I didn't enter into a contract with her. I can't get out of it. I entered into a covenant with her. And so uh, that's two people. Here, it's just God. So what that's telling me is this, is Abraham, this doesn't depend on you holding up your end of it. This just depends on God. That's why the Abrahamic covenant to this night has not changed. It is still in place. There appeared two things, a smoking oven, an oven with a fire in it. It passes and a flaming torch. This flaming pot, this, this pot of fire was a picture of a, of a pot that had a fire that you would, you would put into it metal so that you could refine the metal. That's what it's referring to. So that it, you put gold in it or silver in it and all the dross would rise up to the top and you scoop that off and it remained, what remained was pure gold or pure silver. And so what God is essentially saying here is this, is that Abraham, there will be times with you and times with your children. It will seem as if you are in the fire, but understand you're in my fire, and I'm the refiner, and what I've put you into is to make you better. Now, here's the second thing. There's a torch. And what does the torch bring? Light, clarity, brightness. In the midst of confusion comes the light of God so that we do not walk in darkness. Now, there's the covenant that God is making with Abraham there and the Jews. And there's another covenant that is made at night. It was midday, but it was midnight because the sun had stopped shining. And there was another sacrifice that was cut and bleeding. And that is Jesus Christ. And that 
is the covenant we live under. And here endeth the lesson.